the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go. Mental health is my wealth. The stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Hello, big silence fam. Karina, your host here, and welcome back to another episode of the big silence podcast. So happy you are back here. I am sitting in my bathroom on my toilet (laughs) trying to find some peace and quiet to say what's up. Um, Peace and quiet from the dogs while I am packing for um, a trip. I'm going to be traveling for two weeks. I'm really excited going to a women's retreat uh, up in Maine tomorrow when this podcast comes out. And then I'm going to Palm Springs for my friend's birthday. So if you see me in the airport and in the travels, shout out, say hi. I love meeting everybody. Um, Okay, so today's guest, Katie Horwich. She was such a pleasure to talk to as all of the guests on the Big Silence podcast are. But she is a writer, speaker, mindset coach, and women's empowerment activist and the founder of want w-a-n-t women against negative talk can i get a shout out heck yeah more of that um it's a platform that gives women tips and tools and motivation and inspiration to basically live fearlessly by shifting their negative self-talk and all of their their thought patterns negative thought patterns so she has a new book that is releasing it's actually out now today It's called Want Yourself, Shift Your Self-Talk and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were All Along. Her book, it's about, it guides you into change, how to change your self-talk and get to know yourself on the deepest level so you can live the life that you're meant to live and be who you already are because I do believe you are already who you are meant to be. And sometimes we just need to keep growing together and you know, helping each other walk this path of life. So Katie, we had a great conversation. I'm excited for you to listen to this podcast. Oh, and also Katie is a fellow trainer. She's been teaching group fitness classes for over 15 years. She also teaches um, indoor cycling. So fitness fan, she knows that mental health includes moving your body for sure. So enjoy this podcast and if I'm going to give away one of her books. So if you share this podcast and you leave a comment in the Apple podcast area, <laughs> we will reach out to you and send you a copy of Katie's book. So leave a review, like, share all the good things, and we will reach out to you and get you a book. All right. Have a beautiful day and talk to you soon. All right, welcome to the podcast, Katie Horwich. I am so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this all day. Yes, and we were just talking before this. Um, you're a fellow fitness enthusiast. 
I am. I am. I am. We were doing the fitness thing in LA probably at the exact same time in the exact same cities um, with probably some of the exact same people. I'm sure our paths have crossed many times. So I'm so happy to finally actually meet you. Yes. Nice to meet you too. And, and Katie's going on a book tour and coming to Texas, possibly, possibly. Yes. We, (laughs) I'm hoping for Austin. Yeah. No, I, I, I overheard you talking to Bobby before and you're saying Houston or Austin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Austin, Austin. I love Austin. I've been twice and I love the people. I love Congress. Uh, Mm. I love all of the music, the food, the antique shops. I just, I I love the whole vibe there. So I'm basically treating this book tour as where do I want to go on vacation? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, where do I, where do I want to go? Who do I want to see? What fun things do I want to do that I can invite other people into? Did you end up doing a book tour for your book? I did. Um, and when was that? 2022. Mm -hmm. So, um, we went to eight or nine different cities and mm-hmm. we, Bobby mm-hmm. <laughs> got to meet, he, um, got his license to drive a 45 foot tour bus that we oh wrapped, gosh. we wrapped it in <laughs> big silence and we drove across the country starting in LA. We did Austin. We did do Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like Miami and I don't even know, Indianapolis. I'm from Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. um went there, Boston, New York. And then I got COVID and I had to cancel Nashville and DC. But oh no. <laughs> I'm so happy that you were able to do so much in person though, because that was on I, the tail end of like that was right when people started to do things in person again. Yeah, absolutely. So um I made it, I made it most of the way, but yeah. Yeah. You had some really good stops and you got to drive across the country. So many people say that they want to do that and yeah. you actually got to. Yes. We loved it. Or I mean, Bobby had to drive a lot, but I loved it. <laughs> you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was driving your book, so though. That's yeah. 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 So we did that, but um, exciting. Is this your first book? This is. Yes. It is. How I'm long so did, pumped. Yeah. How long did it take you to write? Well, there's the short answer and the longer answer. The short answer is that it took a few years. I think this book, by the time it comes out, it'll be like six or seven years in the making. And the longer answer is that I pitched it once. I took a breather from pitching it. And then I decided that I wanted to know what I was standing behind. So without having a publisher or even an agent yet, I decided I was going to write the entire manuscript to see what this thing was. And I wrote it and I was like, oh, this is the thing. And this is the thing that I'm willing to fight for. So it was sort of a stop and start, um, but I'm so happy that it happened the way that it did as so many of these things happen in life. I think that, I think that I am ready for this experience in a way that maybe I wasn't even five years ago. Um, And I'm, very, I feel like I'm very grounded in it, which I have yeah. heard many people can sort of get swept up in the process. So it feels very nourishing. I think that's I, the word. I love that too. Cause I sometimes know um, so many authors. Um, I've known some authors and they've been on the podcast and like, how do you pump out like five books in a year? It took me five years. Yeah. I was just talking to someone about that where she was like, oh yeah, I'm working on my eighth book. And I, my, my brain had to sort of reconfigure for a second. Um, but yeah, I am definitely someone who, even my writing style, I am not someone who I've tried it, but I'm not someone who sits and is like, okay, you have this hour to this hour to write. I am someone who needs the mental and emotional space to sort of put together the puzzle pieces in my brain. And mm-hmm. then and then once I get to the page or the computer, it sort of comes out there. But I've spent so much time internally because I am yeah. such an introvert and it's mm-hmm. a really busy place up there. Same, um, same. But yeah, so you know, it, 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 takes, it takes a little more time, but what ends up coming out feels just really, really rich. It feels very fulfilling once it's out there. Yeah. I agree with that. My, um, I'm talking about the writing process too, because I get a lot of questions. I'm like, how do I even start writing a book? Like, how do yeah. I go through this process? And 
uh, you know, it's for me too, I would have to spend like an hour to mentally prepare before I sat down and started writing Mm -hmm. and like slow the brain down, meditate, do what you got to do, like set up the space, light a candle, put the dogs outside, tell my husband to not bother me. (laughs) Like It's Mm -hmm. it's definitely a, a process. And for the topic of yours too, for taking that long, I can imagine because it's want yourself and you're all about, um, women against negative Mm self-talk. And I can imagine that through those years, you changed your own thoughts and who you were and developed as a woman in so many ways. Yeah. You know, I got a question the other day about negative self-talk in the book writing process. And someone was saying, you know, I don't even know if I have a lot of negative self-talk at this point in my life. Is this you know, you've been doing this work for so long. Is this still something that you experienced? Did you experience it while you were writing your book? And I like to think of negative self-talk as, you know, one dialect, if you will, of self-talk in general, which is this story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves 24-7. And so when it comes to negative self-talk, I found through my own experience working with people, research, negative self-talk is really hard to just turn off and push away unless you are a robot, right? Because Mm -hmm. that is something that is so a part of the human experience. So there was, even though I've been doing this work for so long, I mean, it's been way over a decade now, Of course, I still have the negative self-talk that comes in. I had it come in during the book writing process. I still have it come in now. But where I am personally, I've realized that my turnover rate is way quicker than it ever has been before. So it's not about not experiencing it and stopping it entirely. It's about being able to make those shifts happen as as quickly as possible without trying to chase the high or push down the low, which of course is easier said than done and, and takes a lot of time and dedication. So what are the tips and tricks of when you have those thoughts coming in, how do you let them flow out? <laughs> yeah. Well, I talk about this in the book and the book is called Want Your Self three words. So the self is isolated for a reason. A lot of people, when they think of negative self-talk, they jump straight to exactly what you were saying, the talk part of it, the Mm -hmm. words, the phrases that we're saying that don't feel good. But in order to make real lasting shifts, self-talk isn't good or bad. It's information. It's what we do with that information that matters. And so we actually, instead of starting with the talk part, have to get deeper and start with the base of the self-talk, which is the self part of Mm. self-talk. So what is your, you talk about self-like versus Mm self-love. What is the difference that you talk about in your book? Because I know everyone's like, it's all about self-love, self-care day, this, that. Yeah, just love yourself. Go get a massage. Right. (laughs) That's what it looks like to love yourself. I love that you brought this up because this is one of the things that I love talking about the most because Mm -hmm. self-love, especially now, I think that over the last 10 years, this is probably due to social media, self-love has become a very like Instagrammable, tweetable, I don't know, TikTokable now thing that people talk about where it's like a switch that flips. You either love yourself or you don't love yourself. And if you think these things or feel these things, it must mean that you don't love yourself. I actually like thinking about self-love more along the lines of unconditional love. So Mm -hmm. talking about unconditional love when you're talking about your family or your friends or I, I am a, a proud dog mother, as I know you are as well. You know, unconditional Five, love for, yep. <laughs> I know. I mean, that is that is goals. You are living the dream, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, like we love these, these beings in our life unconditionally. And 
we have to look at what that means and then start to turn on ourselves. So if you think of someone that you love unconditionally, you don't necessarily like or agree with everything that they do. It doesn't mean that they never annoy you. Like, I love my dog just because we were just talking about dogs. I love my dog unconditionally. Sometimes she's really, really getting on my nerves. It's the same with ourselves. So I like to think of it in terms of self-love versus self-like, like you just said. Mm -hmm. So it is okay to not like parts of yourself and still have that base of self-love underneath. Self-like and self-dislike are more of a, a fleeting thing. So if we can start to think about it like that, even just starting to to, to think about it in a different context, whether we've bought into it or not yet, mm-hmm. that can start to really change the way that we notice how we interact with each other and with ourselves. That's in two, two things that came to my mind when you said that. Number one, when you were talking about dogs and self uh, and loving them and liking them, the conversation that went in my head was Bobby, <laughs> husband, and I, he's like, do you like me? Or do you just love me? I'm like, I love you. And sometimes I like you. (laughs) (laughs) Always love you. And I guess it's like giving that freedom to ourselves. Like I always love myself. Sometimes I make mistakes. Sometimes I, I'm very critical to myself. Like, am I doing enough? Am I doing this? You know that. Mm -hmm. And I think you talk about it in your, your book as well. Like them just that inner criticism of, (sighs) I don't know. I, you know, an overachieving and this and that, but, um, and then the other thing you talked about social media Mm -hmm. and what about the impact of social media in your opinion from obviously Instagram, Reddit, all these, all these like negative talk and what I think is projection on Mm -hmm. some of, um, when people are talking negatively, but how can that affect you and your self-talk when you, you know, come across something that you compare comparison um, or someone saying something about you? Yeah, I think the social media conversation, you know, I thought that however many years ago when we were starting to see these studies coming out around mental health and social mm-hmm. media, particularly when it comes to younger people, particularly when it comes to younger girls and young women. I thought that when we started talking about that, I was like, cool, great. We're done here. Um, Not the case. Spoiler alert. And I think that that's because obviously different generations start to come onto social media, different Mm -hmm. platforms start to come up. And I think that whether it was 10 years ago or right now, a lot of times we forget about the social part of social Mm -hmm. media. And a lot of social media is us taking our social selves Mm -hmm. and trying to configure that for an online space. So a lot of what we've seen over time when it comes to interpersonal relationships, we're just seeing under a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. on social media. So jealousy, comparison, all of that. And I was just talking about this, um, this, this idea of jealousy and comparison and envy mm-hmm. when it comes to social media, because I think that's, that's one part of the mental health conversation, right? Because yeah. we'll see people doing things. And of course, we're seeing not just one person's highlight reel, but we're seeing highlight reel after highlight reel. And social media is designed, we forget this, to show us what we like and what we want. So if you're seeing a lot of, I don't know, accounts or posts about these sort of aspirational things or people doing things that you want in your life, but you don't feel like you're there, like that is on purpose. That is by design. So I think recognizing that first of all is really important. And also being able to figure out who do I want to be in the mix in social media mm-hmm. can, it can be trickier than being in person with someone, of course, because we can 
choose where we go and who we show up with. And a lot mm-hmm. of times we just see things seemingly out of the blue on social media. Um, so it is about curating, which I know so many people have talked about this already, but yeah. curating a social media feed where if you feel those feelings of jealousy and comparison and envy because jealousy and envy are two different things. So you either want someone something that someone else has and you don't want them to have it or envy is you see something and you want it too. Being able to curate and take those people or those accounts that trigger those feelings out of your feed or even muting them, that can be really helpful for a short-term solution. But when we talk about long-term, it really is about going deeper and asking yourself, who do I want to be in this situation? And what is the self that I am willing to stand behind that feels so, so like myself, like who I am, the core of who I am, that whatever trends or I don't know, like beautiful picture comes up online, you're not saying, oh, I want that. I must be so awful. You're saying, oh, that feels weird. I want that. Period. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it is so interesting with social media and um, I don't want to stay on that topic so much because there's a lot of conversation around it, around it, but uh, yeah. But so think social, I always say like social media is now, but you grew up as a, a 90, 80s, 90s girl, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same here, same here. And I always talk about how I had like 17 magazine and yeah, and Tiger Beat. Oh, and Tiger Beat. Yeah. I mean, we were teenagers in the heyday of like paparazzi culture. That's yes. a whole thing. Yes. And we were in LA. Were you out at all the clubs I was out at? Oh, I was out in LA. I was not a club person, but <laughs> I will say where I lived was. Uh, way out in sort of like outside of LA, the country part of yep. the city. It is um, now become more well known because of the Kardashians. Oh, I grew Cal- up in Calabasas. Calabasas. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm like, I was there when there were sheep on the hill and it was farmland. Um, but I also throughout my teens, that's when certain celebrities started to move to the area to get away from the yeah. city. Um, And that brought paparazzi. So that actually, without me being in like the club scene of it and where people were taking those pictures and going out, Mm -hmm. I was in it in a more everyday way and in a really scary way. I mean, the paparazzi were vicious back then. They would not only like hide in bushes, but I remember there's this one mean street where I grew up and there for a very long time weren't any speed bumps. There were no stop signs. There were no traffic lights. And they would just speed down to get those photos or that video no matter what. And so I think that that literally brought it home for me in a way that um, maybe was unique to that area. Yeah, definitely. Calabasas. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It it has such an association (laughs) now. It was a great place to grow up, though. Yeah. So, okay. In your prologue of your book, you talk about, because I want to go into like why you're so into um, speaking up about negative self-talk and how it came back. Number one, talking about our ancestors, your grandmother, our DNA, how it's put in us. And then I always say how, how Disney fucked us, you know, you t- <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> how you talk about the little mermaid, but yeah go into your history there and your experience of realizing as a child, how it was embedded in your head um, that you had to, you know, how you started negative self-talking to yourself, even at a young age and comparing. Yeah. A lot of times these moments that we think are the moments that determine what our self-told story is. We think it's like this big moment that is going to shake the earth and there's like this big clear before and after. But what I found is that 
Many times it's more about those micro moments that build over and over and over again that not only help you tell your story, but help you solidify that story within yourself as a truth. So one of my very first memories in life is when I was about four years old, I was always a highly sensitive, highly proprioceptive person, even when I was younger. And I felt things very deeply and also felt and heard the subtext of things, even if they weren't said in the room. And I feel like a lot of your listeners are probably listening to this and nodding their head because mm. a lot of very deep and empathetic souls listen to this podcast, so, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. When I was about four, like you said, I was just obsessed with all things Ariel, as I'm sure most little girls were in America in 1991. And my very first memory is being in preschool and being asked to draw essentially this, this mural for our preschool. So there was an ocean themed week and the class was making like finger painting an ocean. And my teachers asked if I wanted to draw Ariel and her friends to put in the ocean and basically display on the wall for all of the parents and all of everybody to see. I was so thrilled. I felt like I had just been offered a residency at the Whitney or the Met. This was like my moment because I was also an artist. I loved to draw. Mm -hmm. And so I took the butcher paper, drew out Ariel, Flounder, Sebastian, some seahorses because like, why not? If we're here, let's just go for it. And then my teacher took it away. And I forget if it was the same day or if it was slightly after, but I remember when the board was unveiled, if you will, and I saw my artwork that was life-sized to me because I was so small at the time, seeing it up on the wall. And I was looking at it like, I can't believe that I did this. This is so amazing. I was so proud of my achievements and also... It was like, here was this thing that I drew on a piece of butcher paper, and now it's a part of this ocean and this bigger ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I was transfixed by it. And then I heard my teacher right next to me snap, Katie, get back in line. We're leaving. And what I hadn't noticed is that because this is preschool, the rest of the class had started to file out of the classroom to go out to the playground. Now, I cannot jump into that teacher's head and know if her intention was to scold me or if she knew that that's what she sounded like. But to me, I felt like I have done something awful. I have not only not followed the rules, not only have I not been paying attention because rules and paying attention were very, very big to me growing up, but I was doing all that while I was focusing on myself. How dare I? How selfish? How conceited? I didn't necessarily have the words to think that yet, right. but the feelings the feeling, that I felt yeah. were there. And in that moment, because I was so young and because that moment rattled me so hard, I started to pick up cues that started to mirror that moment of, well, if you take pride in your accomplishments, your achievements, yourself, then you must be completely full of it. Confidence is being narcissistic or vain. And I also realized that I got a lot of praise for these things like my artwork or later I got into theater. I was a musical theater major. I That was a whole other part of my career at one point. I realized that that was something that I got a lot of praise for and people wanted me to do. So I developed this idea that I have to be, like you were talking about before, not just type A. I have to be the best. I have to show up for all of the things. I have to be there and I have to be on, but I can never stop and smell these 
proverbial roses in my own garden, because if I do that, it's all going to go away and I am going to be known as Katie, the person who did not follow the rules, who did not get in line, and who is a very, very, very stuck up person. So, yeah, you talk about maybe in chapter two, you mm-hmm. you talk about, am I likable or am I too much? If I don't give 110%, every moment of every day, will I fade away? Mm-hmm. Is that part of maybe something that came out of that moment as a kid? Those yeah. yeah, I think that that moment was inside of me talking about being the introvert with yeah. the very loud brain. Yeah. That was a moment that really stuck with me. And the thing about self-talk, like I said, it's not good or bad. It's information. And we draw proof from our lives to solidify this information in our brain. And it becomes something that's habitual. So because this was something that I wanted to now be on the lookout for, I was on the lookout for it. I was making sure that I wasn't going to be too much, too big. I wanted to make sure that I was likable enough, but not too much. And I couldn't recognize Mm -hmm. it. It was really built in that moment. And then over these smaller moments, like we talked about everything from conversations that I overheard from the adults in my life to the magazines that I picked up as a kid, then as a teen, that really weren't about the things that we talk about today, the way that we talk about it. We have such a wonderful, robust mental and emotional wellness conversation that goes on in 2023. We still have a long ways to go, but it can be really easy to take that for granted and forget how rough it was. Yeah. And how, and how rough it was everywhere. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So you came up with something. It's um, how breaking down the four steps of self. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? Because I feel like that's a good tip and takeaway for the listeners. Yeah. So just to be clear, are you thinking about the finding being staying? Yes. And one okay. Two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So yeah. something that's freaking go. So <laughs> I have been so passionate about speaking about self-talk and how do we actually shift it in a real lasting way for, like I said, so long now, over a decade, what I realized was happening a lot of times, even when great conversations were happening, Mm -hmm. people weren't given a robust toolkit or sort of a framework to start to shift their self-talk, especially in the early days of that self-talk and mental health conversation. You know, I love an affirmation, love not dissing affirmations. However, affirmations are one tool. And if you think about an actual toolkit, if you are given a hammer and you're told that you need to go build a house, Mm -hmm. well, Of course, you're going to get frustrated that you can't build the house because you only have a hammer. You have to draw on the other tools at different times. So when it comes to the framework of shifting your self-talk, I like to think of it in terms of first getting back to the self part. Like You need a sense of self and recognizing why that's important before anything else. After that, you start to find yourself okay, so this self, this true core of who I am, who is that person? No matter how I feel about that person or not, just like, who is this person? Then it's about taking that self who you are on the inside and being yourself out loud. So really taking that Venn diagram between who you say you are and who you are in the world and making it into a circle. And that's great, but Life will keep lifing. We were just talking about Mm -hmm. social media and sometimes something will pop up or someone will come in. And what do you do? Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? I already did. I said, fucked us. (laughs) That's true. You did. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like all of this shit comes in (laughs) and like, what do you do when shit hits the fan? And that's when it, and that's when you have to move from finding being to staying yourself. Mm -hmm. After that, 
that's when you are able to be in a place where hopefully you are able to explore what it means to want the self that you have. Because a lot of people, like we talked about with self-love, will try and jump there so quickly. And it's really hard to want to be who you are if you don't actually know who you are in the first place. I think that's a lot of, but like, what is that process without putting pressure on yourself to be like, who am I? I, I've Mm -hmm. worked with Deepak Chopra. I'm actually going to his final retreat with Chopra tomorrow. No, Thursday. Oh my gosh. Yes. And that's one of the big things is the four soul questions. And I think there's so much pressure and that process of finding out like, it's like someone says who are you what is your purpose you're like i don't fucking uh yeah that's so much pressure also like (laughs) who am i today who am i gonna be in like three years who was i yesterday you know like i i agree yeah so there's these four soul questions that and and on the tone it up app i i do this meditation but um and it's important to know that when you think about this stuff to not put so much pressure on yourself to have the answer. But if you meditate in it, it naturally will come to you, but you could do it daily. So it's the, who am I Mm -hmm. internal question, but don't try to answer it. Like if you, my belief is if you meditate on this daily, the answers will come. You just have to release that. Like, uh, I would say anxiety of not knowing like who am I? It's too much pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, what do I really want? What are my deepest desires? Mm. meditate on that. And then what is my purpose? Mm -hmm. You don't have to have an answer. It'll come to you. And then what am I grateful for? Which I love that. Yeah. Like those four soul questions are as you train your brain to just not think too much. Mm -hmm. We don't have to have the answer to everything, but those things. And of course I love um, the grateful one, but anyways, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's such a great one for people to not just meditate on, but sort of add to their Rolodex, if you will, of questions to get curious about in their lives. Because I mean, my husband and I, we have a literal gratitude practice. We practice gratitude. It's called a gratitude practice because like you need to practice it. And sometimes that can be really hard to do, or you think that you need to think of these big, huge things. But what we do is we will just say, okay, gratitude, let's go. And we'll ping pong back and forth and be like, I'm grateful for, I mean, this is easy. I'm grateful for my friend who let me record in her apartment today. I am grateful for you who has me on her podcast. I am grateful for the internet that is bringing us together. And you just like, you keep going. I am grateful for the sun in the sky. I am grateful for this pillow right there. And once you get into that practice of gratitude, then it starts to become habitual versus what you're talking about is I I think that people do put pressure on themselves, not think. I know that many people put pressure on themselves to have these answers of who am I? What's my purpose? What am I grateful for right away? And to have them be like life shattering answers, right? Right. But if we can just introduce them as, as questions that are in our lives, that is a whole different thing because then those are questions that are always there and there's no pressure to answer them in that moment. Yeah. And it may change and that's okay. And it may change. And they actually, it probably will change because like we talked about, you are a human, not a robot. You are no different than the flowers and the trees that all change with the seasons. You will change as well. Yeah. I love that. I was, before we, before I came up here to record, I was having a, a moment with Bobby and he was like, on this like stressful conversation, this, that we got to do. I'm like, can you just calm down and let's talk about what we're grateful for and positive. It's like we, as humans, you can just, and I know like him and his head and he like is his hamster wheel just goes. Mine does does too, but not as bad. And (laughs) he may listen to this, but he knows it. Like, yeah, 
And it is the self-talk and the worry of, um, I would say just negativity and scarcity, which I believe you talk about in your book too, that mindset. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I think there should be a practice for anyone listening. Tag us. What are you grateful for? Yeah. And it could be the smallest thing. Like I would actually encourage people to look for the smallest, most maybe normal or nondescript thing. And you don't have to feel like any which way about it. All you're doing is saying, I feel grateful for this thing. You don't have to be like shouting it from the rooftops because that's another thing, right? Like we think that gratitude needs to completely turn us into this like Pollyanna sunshine person. Gratitude is just about reminding yourself of the things that you are glad are there. It's just, it's more information, right? You don't have to have that change your entire outlook in the moment, but it's about remembering that you're glad that you're, that that's there and then believing that because that's a big thing with self-talk is that oftentimes if we're trying to talk ourselves out of being a certain way, if we don't all, and there are studies around this, they're fascinating. If we don't already believe what we are saying or some part of what we're saying, it can actually do more harm than good because a form of cognitive dissonance comes up and we feel like we're lying to ourselves. And that doesn't feel good because then we feel like a liar. And then we feel like there's this expectation we should be this way. And that's when that starts to really spiral. So the believability factor is essential. Yeah. All right. Yes. I want to say something. I'm trying to think of like, let's see. I'm grateful. I'm staring out this window and I get to see the leaves blowing on the tree. It's beautiful. Like the littlest things, like it's that being present Mm -hmm. moment. So I encourage anyone listening, just like thinking of like looking around. I'm grateful that I'm talking to you. I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm grateful on your behalf for that awesome poster behind you that adds like, I I love the vibe that you have back there, like in this little nook. I'm all about the cozy nooks. So I notice little things like that. It could be so small. Yeah. I've got a candle, got my book, got grateful for that photo of Palm Springs, one of my favorite places to visit. Um, I love it. So one other thing I wanted to ask um, is what is a planned freak out? <gasps> My ah! favorite thing to do ever. Okay, I need That's to what know it this. is. I need to know this. <laughs> All right. So I don't know how you feel about homework, but yes. I if, if you're into homework and this yeah. has no deadline, I would highly recommend you and Bobby doing a planned freak out or a PFO, as we call okay. it for short. Okay. So a PFO is basically losing your shit strategically. So freaking out before you freak out. This is an exercise that actually my husband, Jeremy, developed uh, shortly after we moved to New York about seven years ago and hadn't really like digested what a huge move it was to move from the West Coast to the East Coast. And what we did is we sat down, we went to a hotel lobby, we got a pretty cocktail because it was pretty and it was the holidays and it felt right. And we each brought a notebook and we did this in a neutral time and key, we planned it. So we set a date, we went to this hotel with a notebook and we did this exercise that is basically about getting out everything that you either hate or dislike, and then moving yourself towards, so what am I going to do about it? So the way to do a planned freakout is to pick a date. Ideally, it wants you want to do it on a day where like not a lot is happening. You want it to be as neutral as possible so your freakout doesn't become an unplanned freakout. Mm-hmm. And you take a notebook. And you open it up and on one side, you write things I hate. The other side, you write things I dislike. You set a timer for, let's say, no longer than 20 minutes. Pick your number and you just 
go, you sort of brain dump all of the things that you hate and you dislike, because those are two different things, right? You might hate, I don't know, one thing that feels really, really big. You might hate um, uh, some sort of injustice that's happening. That's going to be different than you dislike the cowlick in your hair, right? So getting really clear on, on what those feelings are for you, writing down those things. And then after that, you either draw a line at the bottom or you flip to a new page and you write, so what the fuck am I going to do about it? And you set a timer and you go. So what it does is it gets you into this proactive, not reactive mode. And then the key is there's one more part to the plan to freak out. You do the same sequence, but instead of hate and dislike, you do love and like. So kind of going back to our conversation about self-love and self-like, that they're different mm-hmm. things. And then you set a timer like you just did and you go all of the things that you love and all of the things that you like. And then you do the same thing after you write. So what am I going to do about it? And what that ends up doing is it doesn't fix everything. The goal isn't to fix it. The goal is to take back a sense of agency when you feel like you are on the brink of being overwhelmed by something and overall reminding yourself that, yeah, I've, I've got this. I'm good. I might not know all of the answers, but at the very least, I am willing to dive in and dig deep and ask some questions to myself to help me move forward. And I have found that that practice has been absolutely life-changing and has prevented some moments where I think I would have had a meltdown and it didn't happen because I got ahead of it. And I recognize that this is a part of myself that maybe I can give a little bit of attention or love, not just when it's hurting. Like you don't just go to the dentist when you need a root canal, Uh, hopefully. You go on a regular basis to make sure that your teeth are healthy. Yeah. It's the same with your, you know, this type of self-care that we're talking about. I love that. Um, I want to try that next time because Bobby and I have these like life planning sessions where I mm-hmm. will get together. We'll have a drink, at, yeah. you know, wherever restaurant and we're like, okay, this is working. This is not all right. Well, yeah. let's say no to this and do this. And I think um, in relationships it is with yourself or if you have a partner just really Mm -hmm. like looking at everything can instead of pushing things aside it's so important so you don't have that that freak out because I feel like I I feel like you and Bobby are very similar to me and Jeremy I feel like we we do all of that stuff and that's I love that you brought up the life planning session because this isn't a life planning session it's also not the time where you are strategically going to just dump on your partner. So yeah, I hate about, when you do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about, I, <laughs> it's not about the partnership. It's about in your life. What feels good? What doesn't, what can I get rid of? What do I want to bring in? And just mm-hmm. talking about it because even if, uh, how long have you been with Jeremy? We've been together for 10 years. Okay. I think Bobby and I are like somewhere between 10 and 12. I don't know around yeah. the same time, but we are so busy all the time that sometimes when you communicate, it can be negative or you're not really planning or just stuff is pop pops in and I need this done. And it's more like business <laughs> sort of, mm-hmm. you know? And so just that you have to almost set aside that time to make communication and feelings and needs a priority. Yeah. Without saying, okay, you need to tell me all of these things about you. I mean, there's a lot that can happen and a lot that you can learn when you give people the space Mm -hmm. to sort of work out their own stuff out loud without forcing a conversation from it, you know? Right. Because if you don't have it like this planning session or this talk um, or planned freak out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then it can be a little bit abrupt, but it, you can actually be in a, a very safe space when you plan it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And speaking of the find, be, stay, want yourself, it's a great way to stay yourself when yeah. 
life is happening and you feel like, you know, maybe it's easy to get swept up in the whirlwind of it all. It's a way to come back to, all right, who am I? What do I hate? What do I not like? What do I love? What do I like? And what am I willing to do to feel the way I want to feel? Yeah. I love that, Katie. I'm going to leave it on that. We've got a lot of homework for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Y'all have a lot of homework to do and we want to hear about it. This is fitting because I was always the person in class who would like ask if we had homework that (laughs) night when there was never homework. Yeah, but it's good homework. It's good homework. There's no deadline. And if people buy the book, actually at the end of the book, I have a whole list of just the exercises so people can, um, yeah, people can reference that. And when I love a worksheet. I know, me too. When does the book come out? The book comes out October 3rd, wherever books are sold. Amazing. And we'll put everything and all the details on Katie in the show notes and all the fun stuff. And um, I better see you in Austin on tour. I will let you know. I'm so excited. I'm going to have to come to Austin now because I feel like, and I'll bring Jeremy with me and maybe we can all do a planned freak out together. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, This was so much fun. I had such a blast. Thank you so, so much for having me. And I hope that this is helpful and is able to support the wonderful community that you have curated because you have curated such a wonderful community. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. The Big Silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The Big Silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The Big Silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The Big Silence. The Big Silence.